welcome to the Power of Politics podcast with me, Christopher Egan, and myself, Thomas Miller, and our guest appearance, Sebastian Maxwell. Hello. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about Black Lives Matter and reasoning behind it, and we'll touch on other topics like cancel culture and wokeness. Black Lives Matter. Where to start? Protests from London to New York, George Floyd's face on placards everywhere, tear gas, armed police, and peaceful demonstrations. Counter-protests in Ohio with baseball bats, trucks driving into protesters in Manhattan, footballers, cricketers kneeling, and dying. It's a dynamic, sometimes frenetic movement for social justice. At times, it's simultaneously a political movement a slogan, and an ideology. Today, I'm going to try and strip it down to the core ideas that drive this movement, and hope to show exactly why it is so powerful, and why everyone, no matter their ethnicity, can support it. Let's start with Black Lives Matter's motives for action, and this is from their website. They want to create a world free of anti-blackness, where every black person has a social, economic, and political power to thrive. From here we can say that Black Lives Matter is protesting against racism and inequality and by extension demanding that the government change their policy to allow black people the power to thrive. In the US this has been manifested in calls for changing police funding, the incarceration system and investment in public education. In the UK, the focus has mainly been against race-based inequalities by their police in the treatment of um, black people. UK police are five times more likely to stop and search a black person than white. However, I would probably be quite naive uh, to say that race is the only factor in which an officer chooses to stop and search. There are many confounding factors here. Black people tend to live in more impoverished neighbourhoods, which tend to have higher crime rates due to a higher level of deprivation that pushes people to crime. And police officers must be pragmatic in these areas. They are there to uphold the law, so they must stop and search as a deterrent to crime. This is a valid argument, partly. If we look at other statistics, we can find greater inequalities. Take police brutality, for example. We can look at the statistic of taser usage. UK police are disproportionately more likely to fire a taser at a black person rather than to attempt to de-escalate the situation than if they are dealing with a white person. Clearly, something has gone wrong here. And now we can see that there are inequalities between the treatment of black citizens in the UK by the police. And I don't personally think that UK police officers are inherently racist at all. Nor do I condone police violence when I say that there are deep inequalities between the experience of black lives in the UK. Cause police to be more suspicious of black people while on the beat. These ingrained inequalities are what I want to confront. They are the inequalities of opportunity which stem ultimately from history and as I've already hinted I'm going to be focusing mainly on the UK. I think 
we all know that uh, Britain's minority ethnic communities began to come to the UK after World War II from former colonies of uh, the West Indies, India, Pakistan, and the Windrush uh, generation. And like most immigrants, they settled in the poorer areas of the UK. That was all that they could afford. And struggled initially due to a great deal of uh, racism and prejudice in the workplace. Since they are generally unable to get high-paying jobs, black majority areas tended to be more deprived than white majority areas. And gradually, although many escaped poverty and deprivation, a pattern still emerged. Black and minority ethnic majority areas are generally more deprived than white ones, especially in the inner city. We can thus see that there are inequalities of wealth here, and since these deprived areas tend to have a lower quality of schooling, also inequalities in, in education. And from this, we can see that there are substantial race-based differences in capability freedom between BME citizens and white citizens. Now, what do I mean by capability freedom? I've just sort of thrown that out there. Capability freedom is the liberty to have the ability to do the things you have reason to value. And it can be broken down into two, into two parts. The opportunity aspect and the process aspect, which complement each other. So let's start with the opportunity aspect. Say we're given more freedom. What does that mean? In a general sense, if we have more freedom, we also have more opportunity to pursue the things we value. Uh, we can decide uh, how to live how we want, uh, to promote the ends that we want to advance. The opportunity aspect is concerned with our ability to achieve what we value, no matter whatever the process. Now, this is where the process aspect really steps in. It dictates that to have true freedom we must be able to choose exactly what we want to achieve at any given moment. This gives us the opportunity to choose freely and to change our minds. We can then take a broad view of opportunity and capability freedom as the ability to choose the things you have reason to value and then try to achieve them. If we apply this to the situation of black citizens in the UK, we can see that there are substantial differences in capability freedoms in our society that run along lines of race. And if Britain claims to be a free society where all lives are valued equally, we have a duty to fix those problems. The differences I've mentioned lie upon the social realisation that minorities, through no individual fault of their own, are disproportionately deprived in wealth and education compared to the rest of the UK. And this leads to a whole set of social problems, of course. High paternal absenteeism, increased crime rates, and a difficulty in accessing high-wage jobs. Furthermore, the poverty cycle ensures that minority citizens living in impoverished areas find it very difficult to escape it. And from this come the inequalities of capability freedom. Say a minority ethnic child says to him or herself that they want to become, say, 
a doctor under the uh, process aspect of capability freedom. It is much more difficult for them to achieve this goal and fulfil the opportunity aspect of capability freedom than a white child, who would generally have a more stable household and have parents with more wealth, who can support his uh, dream. Racist links to poverty have caused inequalities in the opportunity aspect of capability freedoms, and these need to be rectified for a more opportunity equal society. And when we have a more opportunity equal society, it can be theorised that race-based variations in police brutality may diminish, since lower crime rates in black areas would prevent any suspicion of danger by police officers. And I'd just like to note quickly that these are uh, general patterns that I'm noting on, and I'm also in no way arguing for the socialist ideal of equality of outcome. I believe that uh, Black Lives Matter are arguing for greater equality of opportunity where any child can have the same shot at fulfilling their dreams, their goals, that isn't influenced by race, and that it does not by any mean guarantee that everyone should have the same outcome. There have been calls from the right of the political spectrum that the black community themselves need to be agents for their change, rather than asking the government. They usually cite the fact that black-on-black uh, -black crime takes up a disproportionate amount of UK crime, um, the fact that a great deal of UK gangs are made up of black and minority ethnic members, and that drug use is highest among the black community. They ask them to clean up their act. However, this takes a rather narrow view of reality, and it views crime and problems like paternal absenteeism as somewhat deliberate, premeditated, and in the latter case, meant to avoid a great deal of responsibility. Malevolent, if you will. Crime and absenteeism are more often than not born from necessity, from a desperation that comes from living in deprived areas. Fathers cannot afford children when they can barely afford rent. Young men are forced into gangs and crime because they have few job prospects due to both lower expectations and a poorer quality of schooling that come with living in poverty. The black community cannot just be expected to magic up better standards and escape from poverty. If it were that easy, it would have been done already. Yes, black people are just as independent and hardworking as anyone else, but they have the cards massively stacked against them that need to be rectified by something bigger than agency to fix this huge issue. This needs the government. They are the only body capable of creating substantial change to equalise opportunities through legislation. Companies, NGOs, charities, they can raise awareness and help in specific ways. But for there to be broad change, the government must come in. The simple answer is improving the quality of education in black majority and poorer areas, and I stress black majority and poorer areas, by increasing funding for inner city schools with the ultimate aim of ensuring black students in these disadvantaged areas achieve the same rates of getting into higher education. The government's action must be geographically targeted to ensure that minor, minority ethnic and black students in disadvantaged areas are staying in education 
and increase their funding so that they can achieve results in line and even beyond the average. This should help to equalise opportunities between races and improve BME capability freedoms. It invests in our future by lifting black communities out of poverty and reducing regional crime rates. With time, and especially with anti-racialisation training programmes in police, our police force's perception of black citizens may well change, and police brutality will diminish. Implicit biases are difficult to target, but education seems to be the only answer in combination with greater diversity in the media. Time also gives me hope that my generation, growing up in times where prejudice and racism are consciously not tolerated at all, will learn to identify implicit biases and combat them in a way that previous generations might not have. Time, with governmental action and anti-racialisation programmes in the police force, might heal the race-based divisions that have caused the Black Lives Matter protests. It is for hope of all that the death of George Floyd triggers a conversation of change, of widespread reasoning. Time also gives me hope that my generation, growing up in times where prejudice and racism are consciously not tolerated at all, will learn to identify implicit biases and combat them in a way that previous generations might not have. Time, with governmental action, and anti-racialisation programmes in the police force might heal the race-based divisions that have caused the Black Lives Matter protests. It is for hope of all that the death of George Floyd triggers a conversation of change, of widespread reasoning, where the legacy of sla slavery, segregation and racism can be ground down. Let's start with a little bit of debate. Um, yeah, we, exactly love, we love a good debate. We, we love, love a good debate. debate. Yeah. Um, Black Lives Matter. Tom, start us off. I have, I'm just going to say my opinion here. I have no problem with the words Black Lives Matter. I completely support the message. George Floyd's death was a tragedy. Um, the officer obviously uh, deserves to be fired and face criminal punishment for his actions. And I think we're all on the same page with that. And if you're not, then you're obviously delusional. I don't think you you counter a protest with another protest. I think that's that is what all lives matter is. I think protesting against a protest in itself, there's no moral there's no moral ground there which they stand upon by doing that. They're just trying to create more hatred, and you can't you can't experience growth within a country with that sort of hatred. Like, what what do you think, Seth? Well, I also think we need to look at the difference between um, Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, and why I think there's a um, there's an issue with using the argument of all lives matter and that's because um, historically um, black people and BME uh, citizens have historically faced more prejudice than mm, people yeah. in white groups yeah um, Mike, 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 Mike Holding said uh, this is a recent thing on Sky Sports he said we know all lives matter we know that yeah but the thing is is that black lives do not matter as much as white lives and at the moment, and that's what I think it's all about. It's about equalising the experience of all uh, of black lives to white, because that's that's what it's about. It's a push yep. to get black lives on the on the agenda. Well, I, I think that I I agree with everything. I think when you've got to be careful using words like equal, we don't want 
anyone to be equal to anyone else, and that shouldn't be defined by race, uh, gender, or anything. In in our world, you should be equal for what you're worth. But there shouldn't be extra hurdles in the way of black people because of their skin colour. I think I think so you're right. I you're think sort of arguing for a meritocracy almost, where you your value is is based on what you can achieve. Yeah. Uh, but then the issue with that is that. The, the people in BME groups yeah. don't actually have the opportunity. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, so that's what I'm saying. We need to remove those those factors which are preventing them. So equal opportunity. Equal opportunity, equal. not equal outcome. So it's Simple funny. As that. It's yeah. funny because equal outcome is you know the proponent of socialists. That's a socialist aim. Equal outcome. I think equal opportunity is equality of opportunity is the key here. And I'm going to link yeah. it into um, what Isaiah Berlin is a famous um, philosopher, political scientist. And he, he said that each man should have um, the same freedom of capability, which, which he called positive liberty. And positive liberty, I'm just going to um, paraphrase from his um, lecture, is the, to be, is the belief that to be free, you must be self-determined, which is to say that you must be able to control your own destiny in your own interests. If you're not in control of your own destiny, I think it's really interesting that we're talking about um, equality of opportunity, which I, I, I would personally call uh, freedom of capability, which is the ability to do whatever you want, the opportunity to do whatever you want. It's what Isaiah Berlin uh, might define, who is a f famous political scientist, as positive liberty. And I think actually the problem with uh, the black experience of life in uh, the UK and many Western countries at the moment is that it's just not there's no equality of opportunity there is some equality of opportunity we're obviously talking about averages here there's many black people who have done ex extremely well for themselves and climbed their way up the ladder we're talking about the average struggles which black people still face first of all it's got it's to be the government, government has the responsibility of, sort, of education but not entirely <laughs> It's not the government. We have discussion if we yeah. think it is. Okay. The okay. So, so why are we? What, so, I think in, in response to your question, Seb, I think it's very simple. The government is the only body capable of enacting a change to reverse uh, the sort of the swing of history, as it were. I'm not sure if I entirely agree with that, to be honest, because, because I think the government has restrictions to a certain extent. Yeah, I think real change has got to come from society within. But how do you? But I'd ask you, how do you generate? that movement because we we know that black people aren't at the moment they've been told oh you need to we need to stop the black on black violence we need to stop the absenteeism yeah. uh, of fathers and all of this but how do you how do you stop that really how, how do you effectively cut that out and i think really it has to be through legislation there's no you can there's no use going down uh but black and, on, and I mean, shooting to... another man's already illegal. So what further legislation would you would you use? Tougher sentences? Well, education. No, you have education's the way I would go. But I don't. And what then, sort of legislation do you propose? If, if education is the way you would go, really the main body that's responsible is the government. Is, is the is the government? But so that's society the... is responsible for electing government. But and you we'll can get say into so, you can say society, right? But society is a very general term. It's very easy to say, oh, society has responsibility, but you can't get society to do anything without government action. It's very That's why we have a government, to help our society improve our, our experience. And if you want to improve the experience of black people, you have to do it through 
government because it's the only well, mechanism that can legally do it. What sort of legislation? Well, I get what you mean there, but I'm talking about social encounters, stereo wrongful stereotypes people have in their head. I'm talking about everyday experiences. We as people, we've got to be morally better. I mean, I, I'm talking about in America, you know, you see these videos of people calling the cops on black guys for doing nothing. Yeah, that just comes down to a personal responsibility of taking the moral this high is, ground. See, and this is a prop this is a point I think Seb was making about education. Yeah. If you look at I, all the yeah, if you look fair. at all the you know people all the videos I've seen, yeah. they tend to be old and white, right? Yeah, there's no there's no denying that. And they are. they've grown up you have to remember that people are products of their circumstance uh, to some extent. I think when you're growing up in 60s, 70s America, which was heavily segregated, you are more likely to have um, racialized or racist beliefs. And when you... The problem is now is that those beliefs and those racializations and the history of segregation and all these inequalities have now been bundled up into, some, into a problem that needs to be solved but is very difficult to solve. Because it's, all, it's all well saying... Oh, we need to fix this with education, race education, for example. You know, um, promoting values of tolerance in our society. It's all it's all well and good saying that, but that's an investment in our future, and that's the I think the problem. So, like, is, are you saying what can we do now to deal with it? Or yeah, I think I think we need to have a discussion on what can we feasibly do now that can firstly help improve a black. Uh, experience of life in the UK and for me that's all to do with I think the glaring inequality is the police and I know um, so you, you, know, you I'm, I'm just gonna butt in here sorry so you, you, there's being cries uh, defund the police what's your take on that because I swing the other way on that I'd say to make real improvements we got to get better training we need racial screening of all police officers we need better funding and we need to cut out the the rot get rid of the bad apples and we need to improve change from more growth, more development of the police, rather yeah, than defunding what, it. That's what I, I that's what I was going to say. Actually, I was going to say I was I wasn't suggesting uh, defunding the police at all. I think, in reality, um, the term defunding the police is very different in the US and the UK. I think defunding the police in the US means really it's not about taking all the money away from police. That would be a terrible idea. You need. You need funding for um, the police to yep. help help serve the people, right? But uh, but the defunding of police, what I sort of interpreted it was, is taking money that sh uh, from a police where that was being used to uh, buy military uh, grade okay. equipment from the army, and stopping uh, the police in the U.S. from basically shooting military grade weapons at civilians. I, that's what yeah. that's what should be stopped. That's what I agree with. So that, you, if that's what defunding the police means, then I think there needs to be a greater level of clarity on behalf of Black Lives Matter because yeah. they need to. I think if the ordinary person is defunding the police, they think they want less police patrolling on the streets. See, that, that was that was my point on um, the UK. I think defunding the police. It's very it's a more radical term here. Yeah. Because defund if you say defund the police. Uh, in the UK, it means let's strip all the money away yeah. from the police. I think, and I don't think yeah. you can do that. In the US, you cannot, that's not possible because citizens have guns. They can kill police officers. We can't Much make legislation changes without police to enforce the law. Yeah. But if I was, if I was to, you know, be able, if I was Prime Minister for a day, the way I would attack it would be very simple is you'd have to somehow 
have regular screening tests on um, race prejudices, on, on like tests like the implicit bias test on the Harvard yeah. on Harvard website, yeah. to sort methodically who is racialized racist. I think there's an issue with that, and this could be quite controversial, but I think there's always going to be implicit bias in yeah. society. You know, it's it's just I've it's, it's a fact of life Everyone that is. like will. Um, attract to like you know if it's for in the future it will still exist and i think it's impossible to eradicate it but something that we can sort of i think especially in the u.s when you talk about defunding the police there are a lot of the issues are with the sheriffs that are in charge of uh, certain counties in uh, the u.s and they are explicitly racist and they are essentially in control of of their their county and all the police are in their county are trained yeah. with that sheriff and who will instill those um, radical beliefs. I think there's a lot of videos going around recently. Okay, maybe not even the sheriffs, but there definitely are police, I, racist I, I, police officers. I did watch a, an episode of uh, Last Week Tonight hosted by John Oliver, um, which goes into depth about... Um, the the systemic issues are with racist sheriffs yeah and it and it really really is a serious issue in america so i think there's a difference here but there is implicit bias and no one's arguing that's never going to be there but that you know racially abusing someone george floyd because of their race that's not implicit bias that's a step further but a few steps further that's a there's a clear difference there but there's also like i think when you when you look at um, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here, but police in the US automatically have to be more brutal than they are in the UK. I think... Why? why oh, because of, because of, of the Second because Amendment. Of, because of the Second Amendment. Yeah. Because when you have... When a, someone you're trying to police, a citizen, has the ability to end your life with a single click of their gun, because they have guns, yeah. and you also have a gun, you automatically have to be on... Red alert! You have to assume the worst because if you don't, then yeah, you're going to die, and it's a matter of life and death there. And I know it's very easy to say, oh, we we need to um, change the Second Amendment to, and this will help help um, avoid this problem. But there's also the difference between um, police in the U.S. and police in the U.K. I think the police in the U.S. are the the I read the first instruction is to protect their own. Their second instruction is to serve the people. I, in Britain, it's to serve the people first, uh, rather than um, the so opposite. Are way you around. saying that police reform could lead to um, more equal treatment of? Yeah, I think um, UK. Uh, I think I, I'm not. I'm just speculating here, uh, but I, I've heard that the, the UK police, uh, you know are generally taught to uh, de-escalate first rather than immediately... Well, I think I think, it's, I think American police obviously want to de-escalate where they can. But I'm just going to link back to something you said a minute ago, Chris. You said in America it is much more life or death because of the Second Amendment. Yeah. So then surely there is a need for police reform. We're talking about cops out here. They've had six weeks training. We're talking about life and death. How can we trust someone to uphold the law in a racially neutral the correct way with only six weeks training is there not a need for greater 
funding the police to improve training and stuff like that. Well, I think you're right, but as I said uh, before, defunding the police also meant... Uh, yeah, and you can very easily... I think there's a difference between that and having military-grade weapons on your own yeah, you should, yeah, I don't doubt that. Yeah. Do you think that this is actually... Do you think this um, is an issue for mainly black people or just for the general population? Because I don't see how um, yeah, I, I don't, police sort of reform away from in the... terms of weapons is going to affect... Um, we, we've sort of we've sort of lost people. the link to race now, basically. Well, Let's link gonna, it back. Because black people are the ones. I mean, everyone has. I yeah. mean, all races have received death by police brutality. But unfortunately, sadly, black. Unfortunately, black people experience it at a higher rate. So why is that? Is so that I, think, so then I think that li links back to the education. Yeah. But when we're talking about training, can that not include? Um, yeah, you know, it should scenarios, be. race. But training. remember, the the a lot of the training is organised by the sheriffs. I, let's link this to the UK now, because we've been focusing on America a lot. And, you know, we are obviously all from the UK. Born and bred. But yeah, so the UK. If we're linking it back to that, what do you think? Do you think there's racial problems on the same scale as the US? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't no. think it's ingrained. It's not um, as ingrained as well, it's I mean, overt. There's still problems. I'm not going to... No one's going to knock that back. In the UK, do you get... You know, just playing devil's advocate again, but do you get um, neo-Nazi rallies on the same scale? Uh, no, you don't. Do you, but do I have... count that by saying there are some pretty strong EDL rallies. I think they probably... I mean, it's not like they're getting dressed in KKK outfits and going to burn... Uh, crosses, but they have some. Pro they probably have some pretty strong beliefs themselves, which I think might impede on sort of racial maybe, hatred and hate maybe speech. this is something to do with um, populism. Why don't we link this to populism? Because it's very. There's always in each Western society. There's always a faction of yep. uh, right wing populists or right wing. Um, I, I'm just going to say that is good. We don't want everyone having the same political beliefs. We yeah, need a political but, spectrum, but intolerant. Right wing yeah, beliefs, yeah, and I think this is something that's um, you know uh, trending. Uh, I think definitely in this century. I don't know. Um, what you just like the rise of populism as a whole? Yeah, I think the yeah. rise of populism as a whole has created a form of intolerance. I I, I don't think that actually. Um, you think it's created more division? I think more it's creating more division. Yeah. If more. you look at uh, UKIP, did that sow division? For, uh, just as a uh, yeah. I, did it for you, Seb? Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, as um, someone with a foreign parent, it it's like it's quite extreme, you know, how the sort of the hatred towards foreigners, and you know, they'll it's say you see you see um, Nigel Farage saying no, it's it's not about hating the yeah, a foreign people, but for for a lot of people, it it, it really is. And well, that's how the message comes across, and that division. Um, is is caught is one of the reasons that there is so much as as you um, as we said earlier. There's lack of equal opportunity, partly because of people. Be, there, are, there, are role, there are role models in politics with yeah um, with opinions with shocking yep. opinions that you know they're intolerant to foreigners. Don't you think? I think um, let's take the example of Donald Trump here. Yep, let's talk about Trump. Um, we'll leave the election to the side. Uh, yeah, we'll get that in a few weeks. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> has he sown seeds of division 
in this pandemic, in this, uh, in, in, in when you talk about um, race, has he has he inflamed um, the situation in the U.S. Because I know Black Lives Matters, um, the amount of protests have calmed down now. But d did Trump have? Did he uh, have fuel to the fire? Yeah. Did he have an incendiary effect on? I'm uh, gonna I'm gonna answer that with yes, but it's not just Trump. I think in America as a whole, we've seen greater polarization for I'm gonna go 50 years now. We've seen far less bipartisanship within Congress. And there's a far greater division between the Democrats and the Republicans. We did have the uh, bipartisan I did, um, agreement yeah, on yeah, Hong yeah. Kong, didn't we? Yes, yeah, so we, we still have a few, but you look at the general voting records and there's far less than there were back, you know, look at Nixon and that sort of era. There's far less working together from the parties. They just filibuster each other out, you know. It's just, it's, it's uh, each party on each side. You have their media, associates. It's just like a war zone politics. There's no... Ceasefire. There's no friendly working together and, for and the, the better of the zone, people. The the war between because each party is trying to destroy the other party essentially. Yeah. It it creates massive division between the general population. You know whether in America they're Republican or yeah. Democrat. But is it, is that present in the UK? Uh, do, do we have to that, to a left to extent? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's extreme. But remember, there are. You'll always have, you know, jokes saying, you know, Tory jokes or, or Labour jokes. You know, they're they're always there, but and it's, it's. Is there a superseding division in the UK? I what political? Not, not talking, speaking politically. Speaking politically, is there a divisor that that we can uniformly say this has this division divides Britain? Well, it's left and right wing, isn't it? It's Labour conservative, and that in Britain, I think that's far more. I, I think it's more to do. I'm just gonna yeah. on a, on a limb here. I think it's more to do with age. Age, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say there's I trends towards strange, older people going towards the Tory. It's a strange but... one. But when you look at the Brexit um, referendum, say, yeah, there's a clear split on, and you can look this up on any website. Yeah, there's yeah. a clear split between voting patterns of young who voted to remain and yeah. the old who voted against. Right? Yeah. I think this is. To, for two reasons, right? Firstly, young people up to 40, when we look at uh, the EU, uh, what was it? I think they take the perspective of, well, it's always been relatively good to us. It hasn't, you know, we haven't, was there any bad for, ex aside from it? We couldn't really Well, they don't know any different, bad. do they? But, um, yeah, they don't know any different, exactly. But then, when you look at Leave, it was... We knew something before, and it was. Better. I think they were reminiscing of they, past British all, days, yeah, and they it's wanted like to nostalgic, where they they want to go back to sort of almost. Well, it was the, it was the, you know when Churchill was prime minister, and, and yeah, you know, we'll get onto Churchill's statue you know, later. They survived that, you know. They want but don't get cold water running out yeah. of their taps. Okay, so let's just say to link this back to so we'd obviously we've sort of gone to Europe now and stuff. Let's link it back to Black Lives Matter, and what what we're really focusing on here is division and how we. Just sort of remove this division. Obviously, that's more that's to do with age, as you pointed out, Chris. But I'd say the biggest division in this country is to do with the two political parties, the gap in between, and how that gap. People in that gap previously, they feel like they have to pick a side. You know, yeah. it's either all lives matter or black lives matter. There's think, no in between. But, but that's interesting you say that because when we look at um, sort of the recent general election, yeah. uh, the last one. Massive droves of uh, Labour voters uh, migrated to Tory. What? Yeah. And when I when I look at that, I don't I don't see 
um, the division being between red and uh, Labour red and Tory blue. I don't. I don't see it. I see that being a division of Brexit. They called it the Brexit election. Refer- yeah. No. There's because. I think the divides are there, but there's still there is still division. So I think as I think one of you said earlier about uh, immigrants, BME immigrants that come to the country, and they don't have a lot of money, so they have to live in cheap accommodation, and they are more likely to vote Labour. Um, yeah, lo- I mean because for, for more welfare benefits, you know, and and that makes complete sense. You know, that's why the Labour Party is there, and that's and, yeah. Sorry, carry and, on. Sorry, sorry. and because more. Um, of these immigrants that come in will be voting Labour. There's a almost a stigma against them, um, so, and it's that division which, especially because uh, um, Conservatives are in government now, there it's it sort of reflects badly on them almost. And so that division, linking it back to the unequal opportunity, it it's just more more division which. What good. let's let's um let's talk a bit about uh on different type of division now. Let's talk about counterculture because I know a lot of people have been divided on this. Uh, Seb, what's your what's your take on it? Um, well, I think I I heard a very good quote, um, which is the I can't remember it word for word, but council culture is is great until you're the one getting cancelled, um, and I I think. It's um, I think his, his name was Felix something. Um, who said that? Um, <laughs> well, are you talking Fa- about PewDiePie? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Very um, classy, Sam. Yeah, PewDiePie, uh, greatest source of politics for all yeah. of us. Well, no, it's true, and and a lot of the people that cancel culture is all, it's all about finding the tiniest mistake. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's it, what I was trying. Sorry, can I just? That's the point I was going to say is that. There's a difference between cancelling someone for something they do wrong in the present, whereas you're, you're digging up stuff from 20 years ago. You're looking for a reason to create more hatred and division. Yeah. That, there's no reason to do that whatsoever. You know, some stuff is better left unread. You, you leave it there. It's in the past. They know they've already made a mistake themselves. You leave it unread and you just move on. Well, I, I saw a quote uh, which I, I think is very uh, poignant. Uh, on the matter of cancel culture, and it's by none other than uh, PewDiePie, and he says um, that cancel culture is great until you're the one getting cancelled. And I think it, it's, it is true, and I think a lot of what cancel culture is about is uh, people trying to virtue signal, um, in that they're trying to. What do you What do you mean by virtue signal? Well, it, it's it's trying. It's overtly showing that you are. You know, you're morally woke. Uh, woke. Yeah. You know, it's you know showing that you're you're always doing the right thing. You know, uh, and a lot of the people that that are cancelling uh, others, they do it. I think to show that um, they sort of want to create a moral hierarchy and they, prove they, that they, they are the one. Yeah. They want to take the moral high ground. I can. I completely agree. Um, it's That's a good it's point. there's a. I agree with the culture to a certain extent questioning people, calling people out on their current day actions, which are improper, which are wrong, you know, if they're racist, they're sexist, whatever they are, to question them and scrutinise them, that's that's good. But then there's a difference between that and digging up, you know, old uh, works, tweets from 10, 20 years, obviously tweets wasn't around 20 years, you know, you're digging up 
you're digging up the history in search of something to cancel. There's no need for that. But where do you distinguish between racist... Say say a, a, a big-name celebrity was allegedly homophobic or racist in yeah. a conversation with another celebrity. And that was 20 years ago. And they've done many great things since. They've yeah. gone on, you know, big done big charity events. Where do, you, where do you draw the line of cancer culture? Because what they say might be what they believe, but it also, they might have changed. And that's the thing. Yeah, can cancel culture, it doesn't care. That's the thing. It doesn't matter how great you are as a person. You know, I, I actually, I saw this quite, uh, this, this good um, photo on social media the other day where essentially someone who maybe has loads of good deeds, but, um, you know, doesn't overtly show them, will be told they're a bad person. Uh, by other people who who are who virtue signal basically. I think it's a real problem because you know I'm sat here making this now. If I'm being truthful, I don't want to say anything that I regret. I don't want to make a joke which is slightly too far, or mis mis misunderstood because I'm worried it's going to get me cancelled. Do you think people are going to think foully of me? And I think it's a real problem in this world that no no human's perfect. We can't expect perfection from everyone. But maybe it's not about maybe it's not about perfection or imperfection or saying. Okay. I think it's more about freedom of speech. I think there's two extremes, I think, in terms of um, in terms of uh, shutting down free speech. Yeah. Um, one is a very Orwellian right wing. It's your dictator, uh, the dictator says, you, you have to think in the way that a dictator does, otherwise you'll be killed. That's yeah. very simple. There's no freedom of speech. Yeah, yeah. The other is the left version of that. I'm not talking about the communist 1984. This is the woke left counterculture, where anything you say that does not conform to a society or their view of the world immediately becomes anti, anti-left, anti-liberal, anti-everyone. Like, yeah, and that, that's I'd, I'd like to highlight a case study of that if I if I could. But, and I think this is, highlights the problem of counterculture. The problem. You look at Brett Kavanaugh. Do you know Brett Kavanaugh? He was uh, the U the judge appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court by Donald Trump in 2018. Yeah. Upon his appointment, there was a sexual harassment allegation made by a woman. I think it was something like 30 years prior. Now there was a was lot. It college, yeah. uh, I can't remember the exact time. It was, like, college, it was in college. Yeah. Year. But there was a lot of there was a sexual allegation, and there was a lot a massive movement of to cancel him. And when he was actually elected in the Senate. Uh, with a Republican majority, he was elected for the Supreme Court. There was screams across, uh, like screams of outrage across America. And fair play, you know, if he's a a possible sexual, uh, how do you describe that? Predator. Predator. Yeah, sorry. But then I'd like to highlight that Joe Biden's been accused. I think I don't know how many counts of it, but he's been accused of sex. He's had sexual allegations against him but in the twenty eight in the twenty twenty. Presidential but there's election difference at the between but then they don't, it, there's not the same outrage there. There's difference it's, it's... between cancel culture and smear like campaigns, right? Because if you, they, think... uh, they only do it when it fits their agenda. That's what I'm trying to say. Joe Biden's had uh, allegations against him. Yeah, so there's no cruel. Yeah, and Trump and when Trump, they called to cancel him. Fair play. Then where are the calls to cancel Joe Biden? Uh, I think there's, it's, uh, it's, Joe it's maybe there's ne not necessarily any evidence yet. Because I think a lot of it is, as Chris was saying, is to smear the opponent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think maybe take a Hillary lot of people Clinton. take it with a grain of salt. H Hillary um, Clinton. So I'm just saying, if you're going to apply counter culture, great, but do it to both sides. Do it equally. So you're going to not cancel culture. That's not cancel culture per se. That's scrutiny. 
That's the public voice looking at our politicians saying, hey, is that guy the guy we want running our country? Or girl? I, I personally but, didn't post a black swear on my Instagram. But um, there's, you know, I think there's a feeling that, you know, I if I post uh, a black square, it means that I care about this. You know, I post, therefore I care. And for me, it's that's just not right at all. The fact that you can just post something on Instagram... And suddenly it's all I think okay. you've that done your bit. You've, you've done, done your bit. Yeah. Now, oh, now uh, black lives do matter because you posted us. And also I saw people giving up their white privilege in law. Like, legally giving up their white privilege. That's not fair. You can't... Fair. I mean, it's like... It's an intangible. I mean, it's not possible. Exactly. It just seems like another way to just prove your wokeness. It almost seems like a push to conformity. Where everyone has to hold the same ultra-liberal values. And that might just be an even graver threat to freedom of speech than anything that's come before it. Because if we can't speak our minds online, and can we really speak anywhere without the fear of being cancelled by those around us? It's a danger to freedom of speech that's pervasive and subtle, but shuts you up very, very quickly and prevents you from speaking later on because you've been cancelled. We need scrutiny of public figures, we need scrutiny of celebrities. Those who are meant to be role models should be held to account. But we cannot, we cannot allow our scrutiny to branch over and subvert our freedoms of speech. Okay, so I think if we're sort of summarising uh, this first episode in the Power of Politics podcast on Black Lives Matters, in summary, there's a lot of problems we face in the world and we have enough problems and people shouldn't face extra barriers because of their race. And I think that's a, that's really an issue which this whole uprising surrounding is the fact that people already live hard enough lives. Why should it be harder because of their race? And that's really something we've got to look forward to in the future. We need to remove the inter interconnectivity between race and inequality people shouldn't face inequality because of their race they need to face inequality because of other reasons like how hard they work uh well other economic factors there shouldn't be a link there to race black people white people no race should be at a worse advantage now the actual uh uprisings the activism in black lives matter it's created a a certain level of division within the general public and I think the reason for that division is not necessarily the meaning of Black Lives Matter I think most people who are who are down-to-earth respectable not racist they support Black Lives Matter it's just the way in which some could argue these protests have the protesters and the rioters they've gone about their actions when when the average everyday person sees someone looting on the news it creates a negative uh, relation to the the bigger picture of black lives matter and i think in that regard you could have i think possibly the protests and the movement could have gone about it in a better way some an example is defund the police i know the meaning behind that is to defund the police and not let them have access to military grade weapons but the average everyday person hears that and they think why do you want to take away money from the police? We need more police. We need to protect our streets. So it's just about finding that clarity uh, in the message. But, oh, sorry, you want to speak? Well, I think, you know, we've got to, people need to be realistic about their 
consumption of of media, especially from the news. And I think that the vast majority, the truly vast majority of protests have been peaceful. That, oh, that, that's with, yeah, without doubt, yeah. But the media will always focus on the negatives because it doesn't sell to have. Um, you know, sell to show peaceful protests. Exactly. And they all have a political agenda to fulfil. You know, you look at America, the divide, CNN, Fox News, they all have their agenda to fulfil. So they, they place, they only show certain media which fulfils that. But, you know, I suppose for every violent Black Lives Matter protest, there'll be even way more violent Unite the Right protests and, and you know, neo-Nazi protests. Um, yeah. I just... I I really, it's quite a shame when I mean it's a, it's a real shame when you see violent protests, especially on the right, being almost covered up by Donald Trump. I mean I remember Charlottesville uh, a couple of years back. Yeah. Donald Trump managed to find the the the, the bad on both sides of um, a, a basically a neo-fascist protest drive protester driving into uh, anti-fascist protest, uh, protesters and I just think when our cons- when the American people's consumption of news is so warped and so almost selective um, there's no there's no neutrality you either watch your Fox News or you watch your CNN there's no there's no in the middle there's no sort of Yes. Neutral yeah. BB. Yeah, I, I, I know we say we hope our BBC would be neutral. Yeah, but yeah. there's no, there's no. It's just all division, and that's, and when your source of information, as we know, information is power, when that's being warped and twisted and spun by irresponsible journalists with agenda, and that's on both sides, yeah. by the way. You, how can you expect to form a a reasonable opinion based on? Bad, on on yeah. facts, alleged facts that you 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 yeah, hear I in mean, the media, which you're meant to trust. Exactly, the media it adds fuel to the fire in that regard. As as Abraham Lincoln said, a house divided cannot stand. Well, I'd I'd raise that a country divided cannot stand, and that's really the case with America at the moment. So I think going forward, it's about finding that transparency and listening to other people's opinions. You may have heard our opinions in this podcast and not agreed with them, but it's about finding that respectful uh, way in which you can go about that and find that middle ground, have a conversation, just cut out the hatred and focus on like positivity, but not, not in like a, like a, um, like a weird hippie way positive. You, you know what I mean though? Just yeah. like clarity of message and coming together, seeing, seeing other people's point of views to help, help limit the division we already have in society. And I think that's what Black Lives Matter is all about. And that is what is at the heart of it. Yeah, um, thanks very much for listening to this episode and we hope to see you next time.